Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing. Uh, <clears throat> I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor and Publishers Weekly and Co-Editor of PW Comics World. Uh, I'm excited this time to bring you our podcast direct from Ground Zero for pop culture, at least for the next five days. San Diego Comic-Con International. I'm here at the D.C. booth, uh, live from the floor, with Gene Wing Yang. Gene, uh, awesome. Thanks for being on More to Come. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Calvin. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. All right. Well, uh, well, we're here to talk about your work on Superman. I mean, this is, uh, this is obviously, for any comic book fan... Whether, in fact, anybody, whether you've read Superman or not, this is an interesting development. But I just, very briefly, I just wanted to, to give people who may not have heard about you. Uh, you are also the author of American Born Chinese, uh, nominated for a National Book Award. Boxes and Saints, also nominated for a National Book Award. Really, certainly the only comics person ever. Um, and in addition to such works as Eternal Sweet, Secret Coders, which I think is coming out from another publisher. Yeah, coming out from first second. For first second, actually. Yeah. Uh, Shadow Hero, who I'm forgetting who published. That, also first second. It's yeah. also first section. Yeah. Uh, a, a wonderful book, arguably about the first. Chinese American su- superhero, right. done with Sonny Liu. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Um, and just to give people uh, uh, a sense, but we're here to talk about Superman. So, uh, you know what I'd love you to do first because there's so many continuities going on around Superman, and you know there's there, the Earth One Superman change things, and he's. Can you give us um, a sense of okay, where are we now with Clark Kent and and, and in the the superhero world today? Okay, so my my very first issue was forty one. Okay. Before that, uh, John Romita Jr. did a, an issue where he both wrote and drew, and before that, he and uh, Jeff Johns did a run. So during Jeff and John's run, uh, they revealed that Superman actually has this brand new superpower. Oh, he can okay. actually turn his, mm-hmm. his body into a bomb. You know, okay. it's kind of an extension of his heat vision. His whole body can become a heat vision. Right. So right. we are, in a sense, exploring the ramifications of that. Yeah. Uh, after he explodes, we we call it the solar flare. After he he does the solar flare. He actually loses his superpowers oh. for, for a period of time. You know, 24 hours, uh, give or take a few hours. Um, so that that kind of exposes them. You know, he is not like Batman. He doesn't right. he doesn't really know how to operate. He's never operated without those superpowers. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it kind of exposes them to, to some weaknesses. You know, and, and, and we, we we explore that. Now, also just to make sure now he's still at the Daily Planet. I mean, there were other storylines yeah. down the road where he was a yeah. blogger. At, at the and beginning all of 41, he is at the Daily Planet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great. Great. Yeah. And and obviously he's still teamed with Jimmy Olsen. He he's still best buddies with Jimmy Olsen. Olsen. Right, great. Um, great. So well, tell me now. I mean, your works in the past have obviously dealt with the immigrant experience in many ways. I guess in Superman you've got the ultimate immigrant. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, he is the prototypical immigrant, right? His parents sent him to America for a better life. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, what can you tell us? Obviously, without giving it away, what can you tell us about the adventure that he's in the midst of now? Okay. Well, well, this has already been revealed, but, but, the, but yeah, the big okay. thing that turns his world upside down is his secret identity gets exposed, mm-hmm. and it gets exposed by one of his best friends. It gets exposed by Lois Lane. Huh? Oh, yeah, so okay. so the, the, the current storyline that I'm working on explores both what happens to him uh, in order for him to get exposed 
at what Lois's motivations are to do the exposure. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, how is it working for probably you know writing for really the most famous probably comic book hero it's, it's, in the history of comic books? Yeah, it's both amazing and also incredibly incredibly intimidating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, one of one of the things I take comfort in is I I, I uh, when I first signed on to do Superman, I went and I read a whole bunch of old superhero mm-hmm. Superman comics. You know, dating back to the 1930s. And what I realized is he's been around so long, he's gone through so many different iterations that there are multiple aspects of who he is, there are multiple facets. So my job is really to find the facets of who he is already that resonate with me as a writer and, and bring those facets out. Now, you know, I guess I'd say you're obviously maybe better known in sort of the non-superhero world, uh-huh. though you've always you've always expressed your love for superhero yes. comics. Yeah, uh, I've always loved superheroes. Now, you're working with, really, a legendary figure, uh-huh. and the son of a legendary figure as well, yes. in yeah. uh, John Romita Jr. How's that, and, and how do you two work together? John Romita Jr., I mean... The crazy thing is, when I was in high school, I used to go to conventions and line up to get John Romita Jr.'s autograph. And now I'm working with him on Superman. It's crazy. It's like nutty, right? It's like, it's like if, if, if you had told my 14-year-old self that this would be my reality now, like my head would have exploded. It's just crazy. Uh, it's, it's, you know, he, he, he's a legend for a reason. People, people know his name all throughout the industry for a reason. And, and one of the things that I have learned uh, in in my short time working with him so far is his action. I, he is a master of conveying action and portraying action. Uh, so I, I just kind of follow his lead. When it comes down to, 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 to creating exciting uh, exciting moving pieces, I follow his lead. Great, great. Um, let's see. Uh, well, this is... Right. Sorry, I'm, I'm caught up here a little bit. We'll edit this out. Uh, well, what's next for you? I mean, is are you going to continue uh, to work with superheroes? Uh, obviously, I know you're doing the other book, Super Coders, which is about your other life. Uh, as, yeah, yeah. As, now, I actually, I meant to ask this. How are you balancing the two? I mean, you were a teacher. Do you actually, continue to I teach? Had to leave, leave uh, I see. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. 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 That's ago, always been a very important part of what you do. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You, and, and Secret Coders is kind of like a almost like a band-aid for that you know yeah, uh-huh. it, it really hurt it really yeah, hurt yeah. to leave my, my teaching job Secret Coders is my first educational project like exclusively educational project I'm teaching middle school kids how to uh, write code mm-hmm. by telling them a story mm-hmm. that's, that's what Secret Coders is all about so are there more superheroes for you in the future uh, well, after I'm, Superman? Well, I'm on Superman for a, a while, uh-huh. uh, at least a year. We'll, we'll see what happens after that. Uh, Sonny and I are also talking about maybe doing another volume of The Shadow Hero, uh, but we got to get our schedules to match up. He's also on a DC book. I don't know if you knew that. No, I don't. But he's, yeah. he's, writing, he's drawing uh, Dr. Fate. Oh, you know what? Actually, I did. I was just looking at Dr. Fate. Yeah. And, of course, he had that recent book uh, oh about gosh, the, yes. the singer. Yeah. Uh, it's in, not out yet, but it's coming yet. from Pantheon, I think, yeah. anyway. So, look, anyway. I, I read that. I read it. Yeah. you got to check that out. I, I do. We, we actually did a story about it, but I haven't had a chance oh to read it. We had another writer do it. Yeah. Uh, look, anyway, this has been terrific. Always great uh, to talk to, to Eugene, and thanks for being on More to Come. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Tom. Yes. Great right. to see you. Great. Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing. I'm Calvin Reed. 
senior news editor of Publishers Weekly and co-editor of PW Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. But right now we're on uh, the exhibition floor of Comic-Con International San Diego. You know what it is, the San Diego Comic-Con. And I have the great pleasure to be here with Paul Levitz. Now, let me go down the list. Former president and publisher of DC Comics, um, as well as uh, an, an, an editor, um, thirty years or so at DC Comics. Um, uh, now an author uh, and historian, uh, author of *The Art of Modern Mythmaking*. Uh, a teacher as well. Um, winner of the Bob Clampett Humanitarian Award, uh, which I have to plug myself. I won too, so I'm <laughs> I'm very proud of that to be uh, in the. Anywhere, anywhere near you in that. Uh, member of the CBLDF board, and I'm sure I'm leaving something out, but anyway, welcome to More to Come. Thank you, sir. Always a pleasure. Uh, we're here at the Abrams booth, actually, on the exhibition floor to talk about the book you're working on now, and also to talk about the man that this book is about, Will Eisner, one of the great innovators, if not the greatest innovator in this medium that we love. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the book, Will Eisner, Champion of the Graphic Novel? Well, as you say, Will was one of the greats. Depending on how historians rack it, you would have to say Will, Harvey Kurtzman, Jack Kirby, Carl Barks, sort of the, the top of the all-star list of the history of what we've done. And everybody can argue back and forth who's the most influential, who's the most brilliant. But they're certainly in an astounding class. When Charlie asked me to do the coffee table book on Will, I looked and said, well, yes, he's a brilliant artist. There's been an awful lot written about him, a couple of biographies, a lot of his art has been reproduced. What can I say that makes this an important and meaningful book? And I really focused in on the fact that Will had a unique life as a champion of our field, and particularly a champion of the evolution of the graphic novel. He played a role as an evangelist for this form that is unlike any of the other great creators in the field. Contract with God, which is his seminal graphic novel that was published in 78, is a very important book. Not because it sold a lot of copies. It didn't. Mm. Not because the world immediately said, oh my God, graphic novels are going to be amazing. It took at least a decade after that for that to really begin. But when you track it through, that's the moment that many of the great creators who made graphic novels important decided that it was possible. Mm -hmm. And you see Neil Gaiman and Frank Miller and Alan Moore all start talking about I looked at Contract with God and I realized I could do something that wasn't ephemeral. And that begins to transform the world of comics. Art Spiegelman, who's the other great evangelist of the graphic novel, had already intended to be published in book form as he was working on Mouse, but hadn't yet gotten there, hadn't enormous resistance to Mouse being put together in book form. So you really look and see the unique effect that Will had in all of those fashions. And in examining him as a person, Will's first-generation American, Jewish immigrant family, no money, 
you look and you see a through line in the man's life of a quest for respect. Both a quest for respect for himself, coming from a family and a time when a Jewish immigrant kid was not particularly respected. His early work selling newspapers on the streets in New York, things like that. And very much important to all of us, really being one of the first people fighting for respect for comics as an art form. Sure. And that informs everything he does in life. He does the spirit as a newspaper section, partly as an economic opportunity, but partly because newspaper cartoonists were respected, whereas comic book cartoonists were not at that age. He moves away from doing the spirit and from doing traditional comics to doing commercial comics like PS Magazine for the Army. Yes. Because yeah. he's fairly recently married at that point. His father-in-law looks down at what he's doing for a living as arty and ephemeral mm. and wouldn't you like to come in the stockbroking business with me <laughs> and with the army contract and with working for companies like General Electric, General Motors Will becomes a suit and tie businessman commuting from the suburbs of New York becomes a respectable person to be a husband and a father to his two children and that evolves his life still further. It kind of created a whole new field of well, comics, or certainly non-fiction comics, yeah? There were people practicing people. doing commercial mm -hmm. comics, but none with the broad corporate range of what he was doing. And none, again, sort of striving to be a respected businessman. Mm -hmm. He ends up being the head of a public company uh, during that time, through some of the mergers of his company. Again, a unique experience uh -huh. for an American comic artist, kind of rising to the pinnacle of American business. And then he steps aside from all of that after a family tragedy to return to art and really find his soul with Contract with God and to have it published in a way that nothing has been published to date in comics. He figures out how to subsidize the publication to get a major American publisher to do it and sets a high watermark. He's a champion. And, and without a doubt. Uh, how, well, maybe you can talk now a little bit about, about putting this book together, um, the, the parts of the book. Will spent... <coughs> sorry. Mm. Will was very vocal about his life. There were a ton of interviews that he did during his lifetime. I knew him for several decades, worked with him in the time that DC published his work. Um, so there was a lot of rich material to draw from. Dennis Kitchen, who is the art agent for the estate and was Will's close friend for three decades, his publisher, publisher for as many well. years, had an intimate knowledge, knew where all the cool art was hidden away, could illustrate it. The most important part of my job, I think, was to put the story together in a way that gave it a rationale. Little bits of detective work. For decades, Dennis and Will had both told the story of their meeting that it was at the first comic convention they were both at. It turned out Will was the guest of honor 
three years before at the New York Con. Oh. Um, <laughs> and had just sort of commingled the events in his head, tracking down the first comic that had the words graphic novel on the cover, which turns out to be a comic called Sinister House of Secret Love. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, the assistant editor on it was a longtime comic fan named Mark Hannerfeld, who undoubtedly knew the term from Richard Kyle's use of it in Graphic Story magazine mm-hmm. and used it embodied in the cover copy mm-hmm. in 1972, six years before Contract with God and before some of the other. Well, there's various early uses. arguments, I guess, about who was first or it's pretty where cl- the term was. It's pretty clear yeah. Richard Kyle mm-hmm. came up with graphic story and graphic novel okay. in mm-hmm. his fanzines in the early 1970s. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of prototype uses of it mm-hmm. through the 70s on different publications. This very clearly is the first time it's on the cover used in cell copy. Mm-hmm. And then you see... Metzger use it in some fashions. Byron Price use it in some mm-hmm. fashions. Mm-hmm. Um, but everybody's kind of dancing around it. Mm-hmm. And then Will is the first person really to put it on something that looks and feels like a modern graphic novel does. And it's aimed at the book trade, if I'm not it's mistaken. It's aimed at the book trade, yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, interestingly, he uses the term graphic novel on the edition for the comic shops, not on the edition for the book trade. Um, Interesting. He puts it out yeah. as a hardcover for the bookstores. For the trade paperback for the comic shops, he uses graphic novel. Um, well, what kind of reception did Contract of God get when it, when it was published? I mean, it had to be pretty unusual. A few of us really loved it. Mm-hmm. I have my signed and numbered copy from the first ah. edition sitting on the shelf ah. from when I was a kid. It sold very few copies, mm. a few thousand copies. Mm. The bookstores didn't know where to place yeah, it. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. But the copies it did sell, it sold to the people that mattered. Mm-hmm. Re- and that's really the key. That that moment that that Frank picks it up and says, I, I don't have yeah. to do f- next week's fish wrap. Yeah. I can do something that will matter for the yeah. future. Mm-hmm. And it comes at a moment when royalties are beginning to evolve in American comics publishing creative mm-hmm. freedom the first indies are starting to really mm-hmm. evolve and you see a very direct cause and effect and hopefully if I've done my job properly as the author I've made that story clear right. mm. um, now the book will have other sort of testimonial material uh, um, I, I saw some of the interviews with other artists talking about well, I've incorporated in the book mm-hmm. a lot of conversations with people. Mm-hmm. Okay. Also incorporated a complete transcript of a wonderful panel we did here at San Diego a couple of years mm-hmm. ago with Neil Gaiman, Scott McCloud, Dennis Oh, yes, Kitchen, I was lucky Jeff enough Smith. to be in the audience for that panel as well. Yes. I mean, I think that was one of the smartest panels I've ever had the privilege of yeah. participating in. Yeah, it was a great collection of... Uh, and to get those guys mm-hmm. on record, you know, only a few of us were able to be in the room... But now everybody can really see yeah. why those guys felt Will was important. Mm. So that's the complete panel is an appendix to the work. There's a lot of Jules Pfeiffer in the book. I spent an mm-hmm. afternoon with Jules, who was Will's assistant sure. mm-hmm. in the spirit years and remained mm-hmm. a good friend of his. And, of course, has returned to the graphic novel world now. Yes, in a big way. Uh, spoke to a lot of Will's students who grew up to do interesting things, incorporated their work. And again, it's the fun detective work. Yeah. Uh, one of my kids' girlfriends 
gave me for Christmas a book of cartoons by a South, major South African political cartoonist who signs his work, Zapiro. And I'm going through the book, and I find that he was, in fact, one of Will's students at SVA. Wow. So I've got one of his yeah. cartoons in it, and you see the yeah. connection of how Will's influence as a teacher spreads out across the world. Uh, his influence, his most successful student was Joe Casada, who he oh. flunked because <laughs> Joe never finished his final project. So you've got one of Joe's pieces. Um, it's really an interesting life. Yeah, yeah, and I suspect, and in fact, I know it's going to be a very interesting book. Um, uh, on that note, I mean, uh, we're here at Comic Con uh, on Friday night. We will be there at the Will Eisner Comic Industry Awards, and uh, most appropriately named after this great innovator. Um, this is great, <laughs> Paul. Obviously, really great to talk to you. Um, thank you so much for being on More to Come. My pleasure, and uh, everyone who came to the San Diego Con got a selected chapter of the book as a preview in the convention souvenir book. Oh, cool. Uh, oh. It's not the most exciting chapter in the book because it's the history of how the spirit started, which many of us knew, but hopefully you'll get a taste and see if you like the book as a result of that. And uh, Can't wait. Come I've read got, the book. I'll go look at my uh, swag bag right now. Anyway, thanks so much. Take care. Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor at Publishers Weekly and Co-Editor of PW Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. Okay, once again, we're live from the floor of the San Diego Comic-Con, ground zero for pop culture, and I have the tremendous pleasure to be here with the creators, the co-creators of Concrete Park. Uh, we're going to let them talk about it. Tony Perrier, the... Uh, well-known screenwriter and kick-ass uh, artist as well and his beautiful wife and talented actress and now comics writer Erica Alexander. Thank you both for being on More to Come. Thank you, Calvin. Glad to be here. Uh, obviously, I'm here to talk about Concrete Park. Uh, it uh, blew me away when I read it. Uh, I actually haven't read Volume 2. For some reason, I didn't think it was out, but I went next door and got a copy. Um, Love the Great. book. Uh, uh, it's an amazing world. Um, I, I, uh, just to describe it briefly, um, it takes place on a penal colony, yes. uh, correctional facility, but it's called Scare City, so that should tell you something right there about it. Yes. Uh, really great science fiction. Um, why don't we just start? Where did it all start? How did this concept come about? I mean, you, I, yes. <laughs> well, you know, um, uh, I've been in this industry being showbiz for a very right. long time. Mm -hmm. And um, I have uh, brothers and sisters, and I have my brother, who is a writer as well, was telling me about an idea he had, and he called it Concrete Park. And I didn't necessarily take to his idea, but I love the name Concrete Park. It really mm -hmm. sparked my imagination. Sure. Mm -hmm. And I said, did he mind if I riffed on it? And he didn't. At the time, I'd just seen a movie. Um, what was that movie? City of City God. City of God. Oh, sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I thought, that would be cool in space. Uh -huh. And I was also feeling a little frustrated as an actress that although I was doing well performing, I didn't see the characters moving away from sort of the cliched sort of mm -hmm. walls mm -hmm. that they put people of color in. But sure. that movie sort of broke through those walls, mm -hmm. even though they were in the so-called favelas and ghettos of mm -hmm. Brazil. So that's where that started, the idea uh -huh. of putting, uh, taking a planet and having a way to talk about the things that plague us now uh -huh. and yeah. putting people on there that uniquely don't get to have those conversations. Mm -hmm. 
in our images and our storyline. And that's how Concrete Park came um, about. And Tony uh, started hearing uh, what was going on. And he was like, this is interesting. And he started to put his ah, visual the, the presence visuals, on yeah. it. And also the fact that he's a wonderful writer as well. And it started to really bloom and kind of metastasize from there. Well, this, that's what we seem to see in science fiction. It seems to be so much about really the world of today, even if it seems to be said. That's a, that's a very yeah. good point. Yeah. Um, George Orwell wrote 1984 about 1948 sure. mm-hmm. in England. Mm-hmm. You know, I was just saying before the, the podcast and the broadcast, mm-hmm. I grew up in Queens, New York. Sure. Mm-hmm. I can You can look out my back window at, at mm-hmm. the, of the house I grew up in as a kid and see the world's biggest penal colony. Uh, mm-hmm. Rikers Island sure. uh, mm-hmm. is the world's biggest prison, and it's hiding in plain sight yeah. right there in New York Harbor, right there in the yeah. East River. And, uh, of course, America incarcerates more of its uh, people than any other country yes. by far. Mm-hmm. Tonight, there are more than 2 million people on lockdown. And so, of course, we wanted our future story to be about now. It's a great framing device to make us talk about issues like who rules, who is mm-hmm. incarcerated, who is, who are the bodies that control, who is controlled. Mm-hmm. So, we're, you know, we often say, though, we don't want this to be like spinach. It's not good for you. It's also, it's, it's got to be... It's an adventure story. It's an adventure story. I hope it captures your it, imagination. It grabs your attention. Okay. <laughs> well, and one reason is just, uh, as you're describing it, comparing it to City of God, because I'm reading it, and, you know, this seems like it's set in some teeming, you know, uh, South American or Caribbean city. You know, it's got that flavor. It's got that closeness. It's, you can almost feel the humidity. Oh, uh, right. You know, it's, yeah, <laughs> and, but, you know, and it's got the characters, and the characters are really uh, extraordinary. So maybe you can talk a little bit about the characters and how they all kind of meet up. Uh, Luca, Isaac, uh, sure. Uh, we, ha- we, we start with a love triangle, and the love triangle is this. We've got Luca. She's a female gang leader. She's been on this planet for a few years. She's done time in the mines. She has the barcode on her face to prove it, that she was a slave working in the mines. She survived the mines. She's, sur- she's done a lot of stuff she's not proud of to survive. So she's the veteran. She's very powerful in her sphere, but she's also plagued by doubts. She drinks too much. She, she knows she's a mess. We love her, yeah. uh, and, and she's she's human only more so. She's yeah. like us only only yeah. more so. Isaac is the new Jack. He's the new guy. We see the planet through new eyes because he just arrived. He crash landed yeah. on this planet. Everybody else was killed, marking him out to everyone as like a man of destiny. But he's like, what the hell place have I stumbled in? How did I get here? What am I doing here? The X factor in this unstable triangle is Luca's lover. Lena. Yes. She, She's uh, mysterious. We were, we were inspired a little bit by, by Tony Morrison's Beloved, the idea yeah. of a, uh-huh. a character out of Luca's longing and yearning and loneliness, suddenly out of the, the sort of the energy of the planet one night, this alien woman appeared, Lena. She is not benign. There's a dark, dark side to her. She's like a ghost, an angry ghost. Uh, is she carrying out the agenda of the planet? Is she uh, something to be scared of? So it's Luca and Lena, and Isaac and, Lu- and Luca start having feelings for one another as well. So you've got this dangerous triangle, and it represents two humans and a, and a potential alien from this planet. And we get into this world by talking about very simple things about love and longing and um, uh, lost or, or, or uh, hopelessness. Um, because when you talk about we talk about incarceration and all that other stuff. We forget that people are human, mm-hmm. and we wanted to show them very human. Well, that 
certainly comes across in this book. Um, Can we talk more about the city itself? I mean, it is a it's a penal colony, um, but you've got a map. Uh, which is very cool, and, it, and then of course it becomes like this, you know, this this, this profile as yes. well. Of, of but a uh, face, yeah. and I think I saw something online about how you work 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 to create this map. So I'd love to hear you talk about it. Well, you know, um, all great sci-fi and fantasy worlds have maps. Mm-hmm. From Lord of the Rings being sure. the most obvious mm-hmm. example to the newest one, uh, George R. R. Martin's Game of Thrones. We thought in order to take ourselves seriously and be taken seriously, we'd have to show our world building. That, that you know, there's well, you do. There's so much detail. That's oh. the, the, the gangs oh, and all of this. It's like you know, you, you, there's so many layers oh, to absorb you. in this story. Well, you know, um, we wanted it to be tangible for people. We wanted it to be real and for mm-hmm. people of different different ethnic groups to see themselves. There's a one of my favorite areas is this Vietnamese uh, gang area mm-hmm. called Dien Bien Phu, mm-hmm. which was the famous battlefield, sure. of course, where the mm-hmm. French were defeated. And um, there's a Jamaican uh, group called Sound System. That's just like, you I know what's it. going on. It sounds like 36 hours a day. I love it. I love right? it. You know, it's, the planet has a 36-hour cycle. You know, strangely, by the way, uh, a couple of astronomers and astrophysicists have stepped up and started talking to us about the ah. real science behind our world. In some of it, we just took educated guesses. There are planets that, that revolve around twin suns. Suns that, that are not separate. That's right, because there's two suns. There's two suns. Yeah, and, right, they're, right. and they're, they're in yeah. lockstep with one another, yeah. like, um, like two lovers. And so uh, there's three moons. Luca always says there's two suns, three moons, but just one Luca on this planet. <laughs> but those two suns seem to represent her and Lena as well, that duality of the... Okay. So astronomers have said, well, you know, that you would have a planet like this with 0.9... Um, with, with nine, um, sorry, with 90% of the gravity of Earth. And they've started to help us work yes. out a real oh, thing. So this is a great. Yeah. Capture their imagination. You know, part of the, one of the reasons why this this world seems so big, and sometimes we wonder if it's too big, mm. but not to me. My father was an itinerant preacher. We moved around a lot. Tony's from New York City. He lives in a world that's full of all sorts of different types of people. Neighborhoods it's, and It wasn't hard for us to imagine a place where there could be so many different types of things going on at once. I'm from Arizona, but I met people from who were German and Navajo and Hopi and Mexican and mm. all these types of things, living right next to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what this world is. It's such a diverse book, the, the characters, the sensibility. Um, we seem to be in a time right now where this kind of material is getting its, its due, and in comics as well, not just the creators, but, I mean, the characters, the... Are you feeling, you know, are you at the here at the right time? Um, your thoughts on that? You know what? You know, it, again, I've been around now for 32 years. And if somebody told me it was the right time, I would have said it came a long, <laughs> a long way, that long <laughs> okay. road. So let's, let's say, Just you know, we hope so. Questions. Okay. Good, we good. hope it's the right time. No. I mean, I think right now that every person of color, that whatever, however you work as a journalist sure. or anything, mm-hmm. Anytime you see a bright, a, 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 a crack in the mm-hmm. uh, the door, you run and you haul ass. <laughs> and you hope that you were ready. You hope that you were on your game. Sure. But you're seeing something that, for us, we've been working on for years. And we had a lot of no's. We had a lot of, one of the reasons why it's a comic book is because we had somebody who, uh, who a film said, uh, black people don't like science fiction because they don't see themselves in the future. And then we found another way mm-hmm. in. We kept trying to find other ways in to tell our story. So... 
we think the times have caught up with us, but I think for black people, the times are always catching up because we're futurists. Absolutely. Well, I'm saying, I mean, uh, it, it just occurred to me the whole Afrofuturism notion. I mean, this sort of is right, right there. I mean, indeed, we do see ourselves into, into the, the future. future. Absolutely. Yes. It, it ain't going to happen without us. No. no. <laughs> Never has. Yes. What was Jimi Hendrix doing if not bringing in Absolutely. messages from some strange Ab- future? Absolutely. Or the people who put reggae on we the free, that. that strange beat. They were seeing it's like a semaphore from another world. Well, and obviously you're both in TV and film, uh, and this is clearly a book project. I mean, that's what I think makes it come alive. It's a book. But uh, uh, are we likely to see new media? Oh. My lovely wife. <laughs> yes, yes, you will. You will. Yeah. I mean, because we're natural. That's what yes. we're builders. Good. But mm-hmm. our first world that we build in is the moving image. Good. Mm. And, and obviously, he's a writer, and, sure. and I'm a performer. But we we hope people see that this thing in our head moves like a, a cinematic sort of picture. Sure. And it moves through music. I mean, it's very connected to music. You see, yeah. it. it's called yes. respect. Mm-hmm. You know, yes. we've got all yes. sorts of different yes. Yes. There's yes. all sorts of different ways yes. to tell your story. And we're hoping to use all of our senses and everything we know to try to bring this world to bear. Because the, doing a comic book is very difficult. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we just want to make the best comic book we can and then see what happens. Good, good. All right. Well, um, I certainly hope... Uh, Look, I'm, I'm love, I love the book, but I, I can just see lots of possibilities obviously, for this thing. So look, on that note, thank you so much uh, for being on More to Come. Wow, thank, thank you. you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, senior news editor, senior news editor at Publishers Weekly and co-editor of PW Comics World. All right, once again, we're back on the floor of Ground Zero for Pop Culture, uh, uh, the San Diego Comic-Con International. But I have the great pleasure to be here with Chip Kidd. Now, I'm going to try and get all your many... St- things right here. Uh, <laughs> My many things. There are many things, right? Let's see if I get it right. Uh, uh, designer, uh, art director at Knopf. Yeah, yeah. Uh, associate uh, art director. So associate art director at um, uh, An editor at Pantheon. Yes. As well. Uh, Batman Maven, collector, editor, novelist. Uh, and we'll, we'll stop right there because yes. I could go on all day long. Anyway, no, uh, welcome to More to Come. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Good to see you. Absolutely. Always good to see you, Chip. Um, now, in particular, we're gonna, I'd love to talk to you today about the Peanuts book that is coming out, uh, Only What's Necessary, The Art of, of uh, Charles Schultz. If yes. I, I hope I'm not mangling the title. Not at all. Um, you've done Peanuts books in the past, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. Certainly designed them. Did one. Okay. I did one. Called Peanuts, The Art of Charles Schultz, and that was published by Pantheon and uh, fall of 2001, actually. Okay. Yeah. Um, but this, and I heard that you did a short presentation on this last year at Comic-Con, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. And so the book comes out in the fall. It comes out in October. Uh, and this, but this is a, of a different order, I think, than you've done in the past. Yes. Yeah. Actually, I mean, the, the two books sort of complement each other. When I did the first one, um, it was at the behest of his widow, Jeannie, and his kids, he had just died uh, in in February of 2000, and so in the summer of 2000, I went to what was his studio at the time mm-hmm. and was given free reign to sort of like go through everything that was there. And then the the, the book was resulting. And then in in the meantime, I mean that was 16 years ago, so. 
what they very soon did after that was was build the um, Charles M. Schultz Museum and Research mm-hmm. Center in Santa Rosa, right across from where his studio was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they have since amassed an incredible collection mm-hmm. of original art and sketches and uh, all kinds of historical Schultz material that simply they did not have uh-huh. when I did the first book. Mm-hmm. So... The new book is really, it's, it's, a, it's me curating that collection in book form. Uh, and what we, what we, and we found some incredible May I incredible ask, things. where was all this material coming from? Was this from his former publishers or from the syndicate or you know, I, it lost I, in his house? Or, no, or, as it, I understand it, 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 it's come from all directions. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. He gave a lot of material away. I see. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some of it, the estate bought at auction uh, huh. and, oh. and got back. Just, oh, I see. Mm-hmm. It's, it's each each piece in this regard is is, is different, and it, it's really to the uh, to the credit of the of the staff at the museum. Uh, for and, and things keep coming in, but you know we uh, we were given access to it. it, it I mean, it, it, it was interesting because the first book was like a scavenger hunt, mm. and this was. The, you know the the, sca- the the scavenger hunt had been done, and we just had to sort of go through it all and you had and, all the stuff and, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and organize yeah, yeah. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, well, yeah, tell me more about the process. So you had to go through and organize it, but at, at some point there there are essays. I mean, what what's the book consist of? Obviously, beside well, Charlie Cochman at Abrams really he really. Uh, Guided and spearheaded this book, mm-hmm. um, and so, because of his connection to to uh, Jeff Kinney, Jeff Kinney wrote a, a piece which is amazing, and uh, and and Jeannie Schultz wrote a piece uh-huh. which is amazing, and then um, I sort of provide commentary throughout, but because um, you're you're doing more than just designing, yeah, the book. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, I really. I mean, for all intents. I don't mean and just pur- designing, but but yeah, you know no, what I mean. No, yeah, no, I know what you yeah, mean. I yeah. Mean, for all intents and purposes, I was the author, yeah. mm-hmm. and um, you know, it was extraordinary, an extraordinary mm-hmm. opportunity. And then a woman named Paige Braddock did a sort of epilogue. She, to this day, works for um, Creative Associates, mm-hmm. the, the the licensing arm of, of Peanuts, and. Um, but she was his last assistant. Mm-hmm. So she mm-hmm. describes the very sort of emotional process of, of publishing the last strips when sure. he could mm-hmm. no longer really mm-hmm. draw them, etc. Et yeah, so, sure. Yeah. Um, and then, and as with the other book, what I, I tried to quote him as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the title, Only What's Necessary. <laughs> Talk about that a little bit, if you would. Well, we were, we were working on this a year ago, actually, the week before Comic-Con, because uh, we set it up logistically. That made sense, because Santa Rosa relatively is not as far away from San Diego as New York is. Um, and so... 
we um, Jeannie Schultz very kindly put us up um, in, in these incredible guest quarters uh, that they have that are sort of like on top of a mountain. So we would drive down every day to go to the studio. It was, Sounds pretty good. Oh, it, was, it was incredible. <laughs> it was just amazing. Yeah. And so we were trying to think of an interesting title for the book. And, and Charlie said, you know, I think... Schultz in an interview said, you know, cartooning is, is really, you know, putting there on the page only what's necessary to, to get the emotional message across. And, and I said, well, that sounds like a title to me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So then we set out to find that quote. <laughs> And we could not find that quote, and 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 yet that phrase just stuck with us, mm. and we were, and so we we just kept thinking, all right, we will just keep looking, and we will find that quote, okay. and we never, you never, found, found. we never found the quote, well. and uh, but. Um, Jeannie liked the title, and, and she talks about that in her introduction, mm -hmm. and it just seemed, it seemed mm -hmm. right. Yeah, right. And I, I, I assume that gives some sense of his approach. I mean, he, I mean, he had a, one of the great comic styles of, of history, um, yeah. you know, and just, just the right marks at just the right time. Yeah. Yeah. And when you see, when you see the cover of the book, mm. the, the cover... Sure. The cover really... Um, is it, it reinforces it, that it's concept? It's an example of what, we're, yeah. say, of what yeah. we're saying, yeah. and uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, it's it's just been amazing for me to get a second opportunity to try and present his genius to the world in a way that they maybe have didn't look at it before. I don't know. Well, let me ask you this. Hopefully, I'm not putting you on the spot, but I mean, I grew up reading Peanuts. Who, um, who among us didn't? I mean, it really, I don't know anybody who didn't turn to it the first thing in the morning. Mm -hmm. The world's a little different now. Newspaper comic strips are certainly not like they used to be. I mean, how would you talk about Charles Schultz and Peanuts to, you know, a young person today who maybe hasn't seen it or maybe seen, I mean, it is reprinted in some newspapers, but what would you, how would you talk about Peanuts? <laughs> Am I putting you two on the spot here? <laughs> no, you're not, you're not putting me on the spot. It's a very good question. I mean, I think, frankly, what I would do is, is grab a Peanuts book and put it in their hands yeah. and see what happens. Yeah, I mean, yeah. um, I know, I remember, that's what Art Spiegelman was talking about with his kids, you know, and it doesn't have to, you know, our book is a, is a quote, coffee table book and it's, mm -hmm. you know, elaborate or what have you. But even, you know, I grew up on the paperbacks, really. Mm -hmm. I mean, I looked forward mm -hmm. to reading it in the newspaper, mm -hmm. but I really, it was the, the, you know, the little 50 cent paperbacks. Sure. I read that, those too. Sure. But yeah. Um, and mm -hmm. they've got their versions of those yeah. now. And, and I, I, the, um, the appeal and the lessons therein, I think, are are very uh, universal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they just don't have cell phones, you know. Yes, yes, um, yes. And uh, there's there's so much that's grown out of it. Um, the, you know, you could argue that The Simpsons has grown out of it. You could mm -hmm. you could ar argue that South Park has grown out mm -hmm. of it. Mm -hmm. Wimpy Kid. Sure. Mm -hmm. So much 
of what's very popular now uh, owes wouldn't exist if, if peanuts didn't exist first. Um, and uh, you know, there, there there's a reason for that. Yeah. Well, he was, as you said, he was a great genius of the comic strip for sure. Yeah. 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 It, it, well, obviously, this is great. Uh, can't wait to see the book. I know this is going to be a big year. There's a Peanuts film coming, yes. if I'm not mistaken, at the end of the year. And even and there are some other publishing projects floating around here, I think, about Peanuts as well. But anyway, Chip Kid, thank you so much for being on More to Come. Thank you, Calvin. I appreciate it. Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor at Publishers Weekly and Co-Editor of PW Comics World. All right, once again, we're live from San Diego Comic-Con and the San Diego Convention Center. Right now, I have the pleasure to be here with John Shableski. My apologies. That's all right. You're tired. The new VP... Yes. Marketing and sales? Uh, sales. BB sales yes. uh, at Udon Entertainment. Correct. Um, a, I, I associated Udon with manga. Um, Udon does a lot of things uh, as a go. But anyway, welcome to More to Come. Thank you. Uh, yeah, thank you very much. I'm, I'm quite honored and excited. <laughs> well, I've known John for a long time, uh, going back to Brodart. Yes. You know, um, you're an advocate for libraries. It's really exciting to see you in this position. I know you've got big plans for Udon, which is, you know, fairly well known among the, the manga nerd community, oh, yeah. but certainly maybe not as well known, maybe among a broader mainstream comics market, you uh, think? Yeah, true. Uh, with the book trade in general, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, yeah we've, we've done some great books that just have been made and made their way into that part of the market, mm-hmm. and there's reasons for that, mm-hmm. I think, which is pretty much... Every comics publisher who is not broken into the book trade or not doing well in the book mm-hmm. trade, there's just some technical things that apply to the books that mm-hmm. I get to do for Udon. Yeah, go ahead. It'll help open the channel some for us. Well, my familiarity with Udon really came through. Uh, they do the manga that's based on the Capcom Street Fighter. Right. You know, and I fell in love with the the uh, uh, Ryu and the Chun Li books and the and the Sakura oh, yeah. the Street Fighter. And, uh, but they do so many other things. Uh, so could you tell us a little bit about um, Udon's products? Yeah, the, uh, there's some, been some recent developments. We've got the uh-huh. Persona 4 series, mm-hmm. um, and of course the, you know, the new release of the game is coming up okay. pretty soon. Um, we have Dark Souls, which is a really intense video game, mm-hmm. um, but we've got our tribute books for those and, and the graphic novels Great. and manga that go along Great. with that. Um, Mega Man is going to be quite a big deal here again soon because mm-hmm. the animation that uh, announcement that just happened. Those guys are doing 26 episodes, wow. so we've got the Mega Man manga Great. already in our in our house, which is really cool. Uh, most recently, though, are the manga adaptations, the manga classics. Of, yes, yes. Uh, Jane which we Austin. did a story about these. Oh yeah, yes, yes. We, we covered that. Great. Yeah. And that's starting to gain a lot of traction mm-hmm. for us, not only in the library market, but now into the schools market. Cool. Oh, and uh-huh. um, because they're the teachers are understanding that you have a, a, a true adaptation of a book that helps the students find the story in context. Mm-hmm. And it makes it much more engaging for that reader as an experience. Um, and that's really, the school's market is the next area for us. We're focused on opening up the channels for us in traditional retail, but the school's market for anybody in the comics market, if you can speak that language, 
there's a whole new generation of librarians and teachers who grew up with comics who are now looking for that content coming into the schools. So can you tell, talk a little bit more about you know, what this means in terms of your, your skills? What are you bringing to the table here? Um, you mentioned some technical things that you right. can help them with. I, I, I'm kind of a translator. There's, uh, and it, what's key to traditional retail is true BISAC codes. Mm -hmm. BISAC okay. is the birth certificate information for your book. And, yep. you know, and then for the library market, it's cataloging information, mark records, Library of Congress. For schools, it's reading levels and teaching guides mm -hmm. that go along with mm -hmm. those. You get those three pieces of information, that helps tremendously. Now, of course, the book has to be good. Yes. It yeah. doesn't matter if yeah. the book's bad. They're not going to buy it. But if the book's good, that allows them to make the purchase. Mm -hmm. Without those items, you can't get into those, that part of the market. Um, so, uh, it, I mean, Udon is... is it's obviously very good in terms of creating manga, but that they have a long history of working with video games. Oh, sure. Um, well, you go back to the beginning of the yeah. company in 2000. It's been video game tribute books. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. There's we do studio work for video game companies, board games, those kinds of things. That's some of the, the services we do. But um, yeah, with with the Capcom franchises, we've done really well on doing tribute books as well as original manga for those series. So, can you talk a little bit about what's going on here at Comic-Con? What, what do you do here besides meet the fans? Um, well, we've got a lot of meetings with the, the buyers. Uh -huh. um, we're, we've produced a catalog for the buyers. It's been something they've never seen, which mm -hmm. is pretty exciting. Um, and we're talking about retail from Barnes & Noble to um, Scholastic Book Fairs. You know, those are the range of meetings that, that that's how important San Diego has become that they're sending their buyers here to talk awesome. to publishers like us. Yeah. And where is Udon based? Because it's in Canada. Toronto, right? Canada, Toronto, yes. yes. Yeah, I, am, I, am, I am one of the imports. I live in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. Right, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. So this yeah. is an interesting... Uh, <laughs> I'm the true English speaker of the bunch. All right. <laughs> no. um, yeah, it's, we're, uh, we have folks in uh, Hong Kong, Tokyo, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Toronto, and that exotic place, Williamsburg. Yeah, right. All right. All right. You know what? Actually, this is great. Uh, look, John, thank you so much for My being pleasure. on More to Come. Pleasure. My pleasure. Thank All you, right. Calvin.